I'd lost the sense of that like work life balance between the the two and stuff was a lot more focused on the needs of the business and grow 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 at all costs to like kind of almost that ego thing of wow look at how big my business is look at all the growth we've done over this period and like there's more to life than that Hey, podcast listener, even if you are alone in your entrepreneurial journey, know that today, right now in your earbuds, you are joined by thousands of entrepreneurs from all around the globe seeking to grow better, more profitable, location-independent businesses. If you'd like to learn more about what we do and download our entire back catalog, check out tropicalmba.com. As many of you know, I'm in Chiang Mai, and for me, that means three things. Number one, I'm meeting with tons of you, whether that's on the bike, the golf course, or at a coffee shop. It's amazing to get to know DC members and the listeners of this pod. Number two, I'm eating way too much delicious Thai food, which is something that I've come to accept as a consequence of my placement here in Chiang Mai, the food capital of Thailand. And number three, there will be an interview with Kevin Graham, an annual tradition. And something I love to do on this show is follow up with people's stories and you can actually see their journey unfold in real time and hopefully get a fuller sense of what this entrepreneurial journey is all about, especially as it extends out over a career. So let's do a little bit of a catch up for those of you who are not DC members. That's of course the Dynamite Circle, our private members group. Kev's going to mention that quite a bit on today's show. And I just bring that up because he recently shared some of this story at DCBKK. So let's get to it. Two years ago, when I first spoke to Kevin in what turned out to be a quite a controversial episode, of course, we'll link C up to that in the show notes. We were talking about building generational wealth on Amazon. If you remember that one, quite a popular episode. He described leaving his nine to five in Australia and growing a successful affiliate business using PBNs or private blog networks. So these are a bunch of content sites that look like they're owned by a bunch of different companies, but are actually owned by you that you can then use to link to your key sites to increase their rankings in Google, and especially to bring more traffic that's going to click on those profitable affiliate links. There's always been debates about private blog networks. <laughs> the one thing that people never debate about, though, is whether they're effective because... Yeah, they are. They are. Fast forward a year, and Kevin had moved on from creating his own PBN sites to growing a hosting business called Site Arrow that, in part, helps manage them for others. Because, you know, handling these private blog networks is tough. The thing with like trying to rank any website is it's difficult. And, you know, like rankings come and go. There's only 10 spots on the first page of Google. The ads are like pushing that down more and more. And you're dealing with algorithm changes every like three, six months. And of course, for many of us that our businesses depend on gaming certain systems, there is often a but. At the end of the day, there's also this element where it doesn't feel super fulfilling. Like... Sure, it's this ideal business of you don't have customers, you don't have any of that to deal with, but it gets a bit empty. So I bring you to Kevin Graham, part three, episode three, subtitle, The Reckoning. 
And I think many of us, me included, can relate to this. So we rejoin the story where Kevin is not only creating this new network of hosting providers, but is also going after rapid growth by acquiring different businesses in his space. In fact, he pinged me in an email earlier this year saying he wanted to do a talk at our event, DCBKK, about the success that he expected to achieve by doing these roll-ups. Now, here's how it actually went down. We go through that whole process of acquiring all these businesses, doing the integration, dealing with the increased support loads and support demands that come from onboarding a bunch of new customers. And yeah, things sucked. Like one of the things that we found going through all that process is that like not all revenue is good revenue. So for one of the brands that we acquired, it was basically a game server host. So it provided Minecraft servers to people who wanted to run a private Minecraft server. Now, unlike traditional web hosting, which is extremely sticky and customers stay around for like three years, five years, 10 years, these guys spin up a server, run it for three months and then turn it off. So we were running like 8K a month of expenses, getting 6K a month of revenue and you know we spent a bunch of money to acquire this brand and yeah after six months we had to shut that one down which it stings like going through a process like that i was burnt out like all of the work that was going into actually onboarding these customers dealing with all of the technical debt that existed in these organizations of like broken systems and having to fix up a bunch of that yeah i was working you know 10, 12 hour days, seven days a week. I was burnt out. I put on a handful of extra kilos. There was like, <laughs> you know, pretty much every night was, you know, half a bottle of wine or whatever, just to like try and unwind and decompress. So yeah, it was not a good time. So what did you do about it? I mean, you had this big growth strategy. You were going to give a talk about it. The other problem I was facing was like, the need to provide customer support to this ever-increasing customer base. And so in one of the deals that we did, we picked up a support agent that came with it and we'd had like two guys with us already. So we added this third guy in and then we had our team retreat in January. This is like a customer service person. That's when people use one of your hosts. They probably have all these questions about how to set it up, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, so this guy was a customer support guy, so he would handle billing and sales and technical support queries. Okay. So you have a team retreat in January. We have a team retreat in January. new team members. Yep, new team members, some of which didn't have passports, never been outside their uh, home countries before. So meeting your team in person, you can sort of realize that maybe some of these people aren't that great. And so there, there were a few incidents that happened during the retreat that led me to decide that, hey, you know, in the next few months, these people need to be out of the organization and I need to try and work out what's next. And so what we did was at that point, we then went and tried to hire a uh, customer support manager. We found a really good customer support manager. She started working for us. She then helped us to hire three new customer support agents. 
she was working on all the training for that. And at the same time, we were trialing for our technical support, working with an outsourced support agency who all they do is handle technical support queries for a bunch of web hosting companies. You're basically saying like, this is my new big thing. It's going to be big. I'm going to go out. I'm going to do nine acquisitions in a year. And then you start to feel the burn from every level, from workload, emotional. And at some point you decided, I'm going to pump the brakes on all this and change this philosophy. Basically what I decided to do was look at what were the aspects of when we were just running the SEO hosting brands that made that good and how can I get back to that and one of the biggest things for that was it was a lot calmer of a company because we weren't operating a true 24-7 support for the SEO stuff the customers in that brand are more technical so they can solve a lot of problems themselves and you know don't mind waiting like six hours or eight hours for you know a more business hours level so you're talking about response calmness as a business attribute yes a year ago you were saying growth 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 now i'm saying a karma company is a lot nicer to be in charge of i guess i hit this point where i've decided what the the enough number is of like how big the company needs to be to provide enough money to me so i can interpret this I think one of the opportunities of running your own business is to actually set the circumstances. Like, you know, in my case, it's like, I will not have clients. I know that I could go get clients and make more money next year, but I'm not going to do it. I'm going to grow it within a set of rules that I have for myself because someday things might get big. And if you're outside of the boundaries, that's when things could really get screwed up, right? And it sounds like you were experiencing that. I'd lost the sense of that like work-life balance between the, the two and stuff was a lot more focused on the needs of the business and grow, grow, grow at all costs to like kind of almost that ego thing of, wow, look at how big my business is. Look at all the growth we've done over this period and there's more to life than that. I'd hit a point where I wasn't enjoying the company that I'd built and all the stuff that had got us to that point so i knew i needed to change something and i wasn't ready to sell or get rid of all of the company or even part of the company so how do i restructure the organization to meet my needs first in terms of you know lifestyle the time commitment that i actually want to put in and then have the company sort of run itself a bit more with less input from me Okay. And so you walked away after having done this restructuring with three general guidelines that you're going to follow in the future. Is that fair to say? Three that I could think of before we were recording. Yeah. Okay. So those three guidelines, according to Kevin, are? The first one is not all revenue is good revenue. I'll pull out a quote here from H. Partridge that I found on the internet, and that's profitable sales cure all other business evils. And what we'd sort of done through the acquisitions is we hadn't done all of the unit cost economics that go into determining sales prices like we had with the 
SEO hosting services and we just acquired services and revenue that other people had set the pricing and margin on. Okay. Now, some of those were very profitable and, you know, do have nice margins in them and some of them are hosting accounts that are $3 a year. At the moment, we're actually going through a process to restructure all of that and bring customers that are on legacy plans in line with normal regular pricing so that all of our stuff is profitable and sustainable for the long term. So you're not going to sell stuff anymore that's not profitable and if people don't like it, they can leave. Correct, yeah. And that's a hard thing to do. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're looking at that and saying, well, hey, you know, this is the amount of revenue and some of that is revenue that we've paid to acquire that we're putting on the line by doing this. But if we don't do this, then these aren't profitable customers. So they either need to be profitable or we need to end the relationship. Why did it take you a while to see that? Because it's grown to be such a large company and so much of the newer revenue that's come on board is stuff that we've acquired. And we look at things as an overall group across like all of our brands. Some of those customers can hide out in there. And so as part of this whole refocus restructure that I've been doing over the last like three, six months, like this is the latest step of that is actually working out, okay, who's profitable, who's not? Can we get them to be a profitable customer or do we need to end the relationship? I don't think there's an entrepreneur that doesn't have that on their ledger somewhere, right? Like the unprofitable customers. That sweetheart deal that you did for a friend or something like that, like they are there somewhere in most businesses and they do hide out. And one point I'll bring up before we move on to the second point, I think is like, you're basically calling for like, hey, things were getting crazy. Things were getting stressful growth at all costs sort of thinking, you're now looking on the other side and saying extreme fiscal discipline is going to be the new approach, right? Is that fair to sum it up and say like, I'm going to dig in here and really look at the numbers, really look at the books, and that's going to bring a sense of discipline, calm, and controllability to this sort of monster that I've created? The word that I'd probably use is intentionality. Like when we built the affiliate business, we did that with intention of we worked out what our costs were, worked out what we wanted to like, try and make off each site, and everything was structured properly. When we built the SEO hosting brands, because we built them from scratch, we focused on all that margin and got that right. For this stuff that we acquired, it wasn't done that way, and right. now we're bringing that in line with the principles that we operate the rest of our businesses on. Remember this URL, Smash Digital. Dot com slash TMBA. That's where you can get a free video mini audit of your site's SEO by the team over at Smash Digital. I've been hearing about these things. The listeners love them. So go get your free mini audit, smashdigital.com slash TMBA. Of course, not every entrepreneur or company can benefit from getting Smash Digital's SEO services involved. So I asked the founder, Travis Jameson, what sort of businesses tend to get the most benefit? Companies that are established and have a quality site. So people whose sites have good content already, if they've been somewhat SEO optimized, if they're modern, people who have businesses versus hacks, businesses do well. We have a company in the financial services space. They have raised 
tens of millions of dollars and they're valued at hundreds of millions of dollars. And their entire business is built on SEO. And it wasn't even good at first. So Smash Digital is not just another SEO company. They have skin in the game. They're using tried and true and tested techniques from Travis Jameson's own suite of businesses, and they're putting it towards their clients. So why not get your hands on that free mini audit and see what they're all about? Head on over to smashdigital.com slash TMBA. So let's talk about the second principle then. All right. Number two. The e-myth is garbage. (laughs) So give us a brief summary of the e-myth and your understanding of it. Yeah, so the e-myth, a book by Michael Gerber, talks about the idea that a lot of people who get into the business, using the example of a baker, don't get into business because they want to be business people. They get into business because they're really good at baking cakes. Or in my case... I got into business in the web hosting space because I really enjoyed working on servers, working on websites for people. But what happens is as the business grows, I'll cite a uh, tweet here from Paul Graham. As the business grows, like you need to turn into a manager. And so he's responding in this tweet storm to someone who asked him, well, if you were 22 and had it all over again, like what would you do? And yeah, he said, well, I'd probably raise 500K and at every point in the company's growth, I'd try to keep the company as small as I could. Always want to have people to be surprised at how few employees we had. Fewer employees are lower cost and therefore less need to turn into a manager. Let me just read this part directly from Twitter. I would raise maybe 500K. By the way, keep in mind, Paul Graham lives in San Francisco, right? So yeah, what would he raise the 500K for? Keep the company small for the first year, work closely with users and make something amazing, and otherwise stay off Silicon Valley's radar. In other words, be the opposite of a scenester. I'm going to insert my own thoughts here. I think he means he's going to actually do stuff instead of talk about doing stuff in order to get money to do stuff. He probably wouldn't do it in Silicon Valley. And you know what? He probably wouldn't raise 500K either because he'd probably make money off his first few customers. It sounds a lot like Paul Graham would listen to the Tropical MBA and build a bootstrap internet business. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, somewhere in that tweet storm as well, like he talks about like trying to get to profitability as quickly as possible. And that's kind of our, our whole that's Tropical our thing. MBA thing, right? Yeah. Is profitable, location independent, bootstrapped businesses. But we're not here to take shots at Paul Graham. We're here to take shots at Michael Gerber, apparently. <laughs> but I love this. I just want to give some context. Like the e-myth is like the white bread of the bakery. Like you can't quite object to it. It's just so boring. It's just there. It's a loaf of bread. What are you going to say about it? But you're going to object to Michael Gerber, who's just trying to help. So I Googled e-myth synopsis and came up with a really nice answer here. So from Google, it says the e-myth is the romantic belief that small businesses are started by entrepreneurs when in fact, most are not. Small businesses are started by technicians who decided to quit their job and create their own businesses. The argument that a lot of people make when they're talking about the e-myth is this concept of working on the business versus in the business. Yeah. But really what that means is being a manager and 
managing a team and managing an organization versus doing the thing that you actually really loved that led you to start the business in the first place. Right. I went from being someone who really enjoyed the technical side and enjoyed the work I was doing to needing to manage a team of people and that isn't my skill set. So the bullshit of the, of the e-myth, not to say that it couldn't be useful to certain people, is that, number one, you never need to become a manager if you hire the right people. If you don't hire enough people, what, what do you think specifically you take issue with? For the e-myth, the whole concept is like, if you're running a bakery, which is the, the example cited in the, the book, then you shouldn't be the one baking the cupcakes. You should have a team that bake all the cupcakes for you and you just sit there as the owner. I think the idea might be that you're writing SOPs, writing vision statements, you're interviewing new people, stuff like that. That's sort of the vision of the book, right? Yeah. But for me, like, hey, I got into this business because I enjoyed the actual stuff that's in the day-to-day there. And becoming a manager and managing a team of people who are trying to do the day-to-day but maybe aren't quite so great at it kind of sucks. And by the way, doing this anti-e-myth approach is more viable than ever because our company walls are getting smaller. We need less headcounts. And there's so many services and professional freelancers that can come in as hired guns and take certain parts of your business off your hands. So there's never been a better time to continue cooking cupcakes if that's really what you're into. And it can scale in different ways. Like one of the things I think maybe the well, I don't want to say the e-myth misses or whatever, but like organizations don't just scale because you quote built the organization. They can scale in a lot of different ways. For example, your brands could scale. So you could look at the example of a podcaster who just loves to podcast, like a radio person, right? Instead of building like a quote organization around that, they could create affiliate deals or create licensing deals and have someone who's like the deal master that works part-time who's done it for another big brand. And then all that person does is make great audio all day long. And we've seen plenty of examples of that. So you could take that to your industry. So it's really on you, whether you want to be the organization builder, the manager, or whether you want to continue to stir the secret sauce, so to speak. I highly want to recommend the book Company of One by Paul Jarvis. In June or July this year, I went on a founder retreat, which is a concept that uh, Dr. Sherry Walling talks about, and she has a small downloadable ebook about it. And so I went on this company retreat or founder retreat and tried to figure out what were like the high points and the low points over the last year and the things I enjoyed, the things I didn't enjoy, and try to work out like how to reshape things to be better and, you know, Can you describe what a founder retreat is for someone who hasn't heard about the concept? Yeah. So basically the whole idea is that you go away for a couple of nights. There's a bunch of exercises to do like forecasting on how you want to adjust the business for the next year. Chance to step back and to get back in touch with yourself, it sounds like, because it sounds like a little bit of your story is like you lost a little bit of yourself to the business. Definitely. Describe to me the setting. Where were you? And, you know, did you like buy a new notebook before you went? <laughs> like, that's what I imagine. Like the first thing. It's sort of, I mean, I'm laughing because I love the idea, but it also kind of feels like a little bit silly. Like you're going to 
go somewhere for a few nights by yourself and sit there with a notebook and think? Yeah. So I basically printed out the ebook because printers are one of the things to get in on for 2020. <laughs> you printed it out. I love it. Printed out the ebook. <laughs> brought a highlighter. <laughs> highlighter, pen, brand new notebook, went there, did all the exercises. Did you shut off your cell phone or anything like that? Or Yeah. Uh, uninstalled Slack on my phone. Just reflected on the, the highs and lows of the, the business over the last year and life and everything else. And it was tough, but it highlighted a lot of problems and things that I could do differently, as well as like allowed me to think about what I have enjoyed over that period and try to basically shape the year ahead to be more in line with that. Was there any specific point that you felt like, ooh, I should really do this and there was party that didn't want to do it because it would be painful or difficult. Yeah, I mean, being brutally honest with myself about how the acquisitions had played out and the fact that they weren't necessarily like this silver bullet that would allow you to grow the business cheaply and quickly and reflecting on like some of the terrible deals that had been done and it was... Yeah, quite difficult going through all of that and, you know, being brutally honest with myself about where the business was at. And at the end of the day, I have to own that how it got there was all my fault. So I then had to figure out how to improve things and move on from there. Was there a difference emotionally in your affect the week before and after the founder retreat? I think... Like leading up to the founder retreat, it was like hectic, hectic, go, go, go. And then I went on the founder retreat and came back with the plan of these are the changes that need to be made, like in my life, in the business, all of that. And it was, I don't know, like, re, like there was a refreshed enthusiasm for like, okay, I've got a plan now on how I can fix these things and make the business worked for me again rather than the business owning me. One of the things though, that when you come back as new idea guy, we're going to change everything. You've been doing all this thinking. And meanwhile, everyone else has been doing their day-to-day job. Was that awkward? Like coming back and being like, first off, half of you are fired. (laughs) I mean, you have to get buy-in from your business partner. Like you have to get buy-in from your staff. Like you're, you're talking about firing customers. Was it awkward like how you came back with a whole new vision for the company? So I did some of the exercises with Richard, my partner. So that made it easier in that he was on board and, you know, had been there as I was going through all these exercises. In addition to that, he sort of sees, like, although he's my partner in life and business and helps with a lot of the stuff in the business, he essentially sees the hosting business as like, I'm the the leader of that. So if I want to do things in a certain way, then cool, that's the way that we're doing it in this business. So it wasn't too hard to get his buy-in. What about the other people in the organization, customers, et cetera? The most difficult thing was actually going through and firing the, the manager that had come on board like two months prior and the support agents that she had hired who one of which had only spent like a week in our company and then, you know, got the phone call saying, hey, like, we've had to change the direction and sorry, we're letting you go. Like, here's a month's pay and sorry, it didn't work out. 
it was like one cabin and a weekend and them between their job. Yeah. It's rough. All right. So let's recap our two points. The principles, again, that you will not violate for growth's sake. Number one. Not all revenue is good revenue. And number two. The myth is garbage slash becoming a manager and, you know, doing manager work versus the work that you actually love that led you to start the business in the first place. That's cool. Okay. So number three principle that you won't violate. And sorry, just to finish off on number two, I highly want to recommend the book Company One by Paul Jarvis. Like coming back from the founder retreat, I read that book, just powered through it in a few hours. And that was the last little piece of the jigsaw puzzle of like figuring out all of this restructure of the business and reshaping things from there. To use a Paul Graham statement, can you summarize what the book whispers? The biggest thing that it whispers is actually point number three, which is understanding what your enough number is and not necessarily chasing growth for growth's sake. For me, the, the growth for growth's sake and understanding the enough number parts come together and go really well with the acquisition stuff. So for the acquisitions, we were just aggressively chasing growth. And if I like sit back now and look at it, it was kind of chasing vanity metrics. Like, yeah, okay, like revenue's going up, revenue's going up, this is great. But like, you know, you pick up some deals where you're servicing unprofitable customers and like the money that comes out the bottom there, your profit that you're taking home isn't necessarily changing too much because, you know, you're sort of operating at break even on a lot of that stuff. Or, you know, in in the case of the game service thing that we shut down, like you're losing like two grand a month running that. Big ups to Kevin Graham for stopping by the show. It's become an annual tradition. It's interesting to see how much he's evolved the business over the years. And look, if you're walking away from this interview thinking, I got more questions than I got answers, then welcome to the world of running a business. (laughs) I feel like that's the reality for so many of us. We want to grow, but what sort of got us to the level we're at isn't necessarily the strategy that works at scale. And so many of us struggle with that. And also the time, like, you know, we think about things as entrepreneurs, typically like I want to grow this year, or I want to grow before that conference, or I want to get it done in Q1. And sometimes the world just doesn't respond that way. And so there's this whole other world where you can ask yourself, you know, what is it that you truly want? How do you want to grow your revenue? Under which terms would you accept it? And I think that these questions get even more critical as your business becomes a bigger force in your life and starts to demand more of you. It literally becomes an organism that you have to have a conversation with and set the terms for growth going forward. And uh, happy Kevin was able to come by and share some thoughts regarding that. Certainly something we think about often between Ian and myself in our strategy phone calls. So there's a lot of ways that we could go out and achieve growth that we're just not willing to do. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on this topic. This one will be posted over at tropicalmba.com slash Kevin G3, the number three, Kevin G3. And that's it for this week. We will be back next Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. 
Hey, thanks for listening to the Tropical MBA podcast. You can go to tropicalmba.com, get access to hundreds of back episodes and all kinds of other goodies. Load up your iPod. That is the cheapest way to fly business class on your next international flight. We will see you next Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time.